This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, the Rainbow Gathering of the Tribes is set to potentially bring thousands of campers to Colorado this summer for their annual weeks-long celebration. But not everyone is excited about this massive festival of camping hippies. The Colorado Sun described the Rainbow Gathering as a, quote, national bacchanal and cited locals' concerns with potential wildfires, illegal activity, and trash coming along with the thousands of attendees. When this news dropped a few weeks ago, the backlash was swift and vocal, with a Reddit post on how to take action against the event garnering more than 600 comments in less than 24 hours. But no one actually talked to anyone who's been to a Rainbow Gathering. So we found someone. Today is Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Tanali Rennick, welcome to CityCast Denver. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. So the reason I wanted to talk to you was here in Colorado, there was sort of some hubbub when folks learned that the annual Rainbow Gathering may be coming back to Colorado for its 50th anniversary. And folks were worried about thousands of people coming and potentially trampling on our precious outdoors. But I I want to hear from you, a firsthand experienced person, what, what are people getting wrong about Rainbow Gathering? Well, first, like they started in 1972 and since it's become a global phenomenon because they happen all around the world now in many countries. And I've been to several gatherings outside the U.S. And one thing I've noticed is the U.S. is always the least welcoming. (laughs) Uh, There's always a little bit of hysteria. But um, for me, I think the fear that people have is natural, but I, I... I think something that gets exaggerated is how many people are going to attend. I just saw an article yesterday that there was a claim that 80,000 were attending. And (laughs) you know what? I don't think, I believe the first gathering in 1972, by all accounts, was roughly 20,000. And I believe the biggest gathering that I've ever attended was probably 1997 in Oregon. That probably was 20-ish, 25,000. But it's always hard to say because it's just a guesstimate. Like, we've never even had 40,000, 50,000, much less 80,000. So I think those are exaggerated. And I think that puts people on edge because they're like 80,000 people. And, and, and nowadays, I mean, I'd be surprised with Colorado if we get 10,000. But I could be wrong. So... I don't know, maybe more will show. Sure, sure. And and I mean, I, I get the the fear and that like 
you know, if we say like a traditional music festival, there's a, it's a ticketed event. There's some sort of infrastructure around it. it thinking about 20,000 people showing up into a space can be a little bit daunting. So, But do you think that the, I guess, these these concerns about trash and crime, and particularly Colorado, we, we deal with wildfires and it's been pretty detrimental. Are those founded concerns? I mean... Are these like legit things that we should be worrying about? If there wasn't the cleanup effort and the dedication involved, rainbow gatherings would not have existed for as long as they have. I mean, you wouldn't have 50 years if you just trashed a place. I personally have seen well over a dozen previous annual sites, uh, you know, sites that have had 10, 20,000 people at them. And you can't see the impact. Like I've gone and tried to see like, uh, finding the old slit latrines or an old compost pit. And it's very hard. Like you'd have to really know what you're looking for. And even then it's very difficult because you can see a slight depression in the earth or something. But it's it's the cleanup effort that is involved with Rainbow that, that you know, several dozens of people stay for weeks after cleaning up and sorting through the recycling and dispersing trails um, we usually work with the forest service during the cleanup process, like how, you know, we dismantle all the bridges, all the kitchen stuff. And, um, I mean, it looks really, really good. And as someone who's an avid hiker and camper, I mean, I've been in national forest, I've seen the, the box string mattresses and the beer cans, you know, I, there's trash in the forest and sometimes we go to a gathering site and we're cleaning up trash, you know, so it's, it's, it's there and it, you know, and it's, a, it's a responsibility of all of us that go camping, whether it's a rainbow gathering or not to clean up after yourself. Yeah, that's making more sense to me now, actually, that you're saying it because I'm thinking about the difference between, it would be like if you went to a music festival as a patron, but you also were part of a cleanup crew mm -hmm. and also maybe you were a performer. Like there was more fluidity around the roles that people have within these gatherings. Yeah. Like for me, the rainbow gathering is, is not a vacation. I go there and I, you, people are hiking miles a day. They're carrying in sacks of rice for two miles. Um, you're, you know, digging a, a compost pit. Um, and you're putting up tarps and they're just the day-to-day -day activity. It, it is absolutely not a vacation for me. Maybe s some people might treat it as such, but even if you barely lift a finger, you're still hiking, you're still carrying your own stuff in or whatever. So it is very much more a sense of like a, a pilgrimage and more of like a, okay. a journey, like a, as a friend once described, it's like boot camp for the soul. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I think that's very apt description because there are, for me, many lessons that can be learned at a rainbow gathering. And I, there's been many takeaways. Each gathering, I learn something new and it helps refine my sense of like being patient, uh, listening to one another, adding more care and compassion in my life. I love this idea. It's sort of a informal space to learn how to be a better human sometimes, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And so all of these like magical like performances that I would hear on the campfire, 
led me to want to start field recording at Rainbow Gathering. So I started doing that in 2000, and I've been doing it ever since. So over 20 years, I've amassed an archive of about nearly 1,500 recordings mixed of like ambient nature sounds, campfire music, poetry stories, random kitchen chatter. It's, it's, a, vast, uh, it's a vast archive. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. I read a Vice article from 2014 that kind of talked about concerns about allegations of violence that have happened at rainbow gatherings. Like in Utah that year, a woman was arrested for stabbing a man and then another woman was found dead. What is your response to that kind of coverage? Well, I think anytime you get, you know, hundreds of people together, schisms will arise. (laughs) It's inevitable. And um, rainbow gatherings are a microcosm of the macrocosm of society. And things can happen. Uh, And that Vice article is really like the thorn in our side because that happened Mm. in uh, 2014 in Utah. Now it's the article that's always all over the internet forever. (laughs) And it's like after 50 years, if you have 50 years of gathering thousands of people together and you never had an incident or incidents, I would be very, I would think you were lying. So yes, problems have arisen over the years and do arise. And it's more about how do we collectively as the community uh, handle it. I think part of the the hard part for folks outside of it to understand is it's so the informal aspect, right? There's no hierarchy. There's no official collective or group. How do folks get involved uh, with the Rainbow family if they want? Um, well, there's the old adage, those that do the doing say all the doing gets done. So it's – you um, people just kind of go and if you – if it's something you're attracted to – People just kind of get involved. People that have asked me about Rainbow, oh, would I go to it? Well, first thing I always ask people is, do you like camping? And I've had friends, you know, or acquaintances say, no, I hate it. And I say, well, (laughs) you'll hate a Rainbow Gathering. Don't go. (laughs) Because if you don't love camping, don't go to a Rainbow Gathering because you'll hate that. And then you'll hate everything else. But if you like camping and you like people and you like, um, you know, creative expression and and um, non-commercial kind of event and the sharing of things, uh, rainbow gathering might be something of interest to you. And then generally I try to encourage people if they're going for the first time to kind of poke around when you get there and find an affinity kind of camp that you feel like the best vibes, like, Oh, this, this, this one is more up my alley. Maybe someday. And then just try to get involved. Ask if uh, you can do anything. 
So say I live in an area that's near where Rainbow Gathering might happen, like I live in a mountain town or something. What would you want me to know? Or like, what if I'm I'm still nervous or scared about all these thousands of people showing up? What What's the thing you'd want me to know? Know that it's it's a temporary thing. Know that there will be care involved to make sure it is cleaned up. Um, like I mentioned earlier, weeks of dedication. There there shouldn't be the the hysteria, and I've never before seen in my nearly thirty years of gathering articles that are coming out in April. This is so early. Yeah, and with the barrage of them that have came out, I don't know what. In, like lit the spark but like uh what was it a week or two ago it was suddenly it was just article after article after article a lot of them were like really like oh all, everyone had all the heebie-jeebies about it and i was like oh my god and everybody in like the online a lot of gatherers were like what is all this oh my gosh totally and i think a local person should just know it's it's a one-time thing you should feel lucky if it comes to your town because it's and especially this year, this is the 50th year. It's the year of the Jubilee. It's 50-year anniversary of an event that's been a phenomenon that's remained outside of the realm of, like, the commercial world for this long. I really appreciate you giving us a sort of insider perspective. I understand the hesitancy for folks in Rainbow Gathering to not want to talk because, you know, you don't want to represent everyone, especially because there's this very informal nature. But I think it helps so much for folks who have never been to one to hear from someone who has firsthand experience with it. Yeah, and I and and again, like I'm just me. Like you talk to someone else, they'll have a totally different point of view. Totally. So it's it's really depends who you talk to. Tanali Rennick, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it was I was glad to be here. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Denver Public Schools Board Vice President Tay Anderson is in the news again, this time because his lawsuit has been dismissed. Well, most of the lawsuit anyway. Westward reports that in November, Anderson filed a suit claiming he was defamed by BLM 5280 and several individuals. A judge dismissed all claims except those against Parker activist Jeeva Sinlothan. Speaking of lawsuits, former DeVita CEO Kent Theory and the company were found not guilty of conspiracy. Nine News reports that DeVita and Theory were accused of violating the Sherman Act, which would have kept employees from seeking work opportunities at other dialysis companies. Be sure to check out the CityCast Denver newsletter, where today, Peyton Garcia digs into the details of the lawsuit's outcome. Read and subscribe at denver.citycast.fm forward slash newsletter. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. No, seriously, rate us five stars and leave us a nice note on Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. It really helps other Mile High City dwellers like you find our show, and that means a lot to us. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye! <laughs> I love acting and playing myself. It's, it's my ultimate role, Brie Davies. <laughs>